Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes words are inadequate to fully communicate an emotion or a sensation. They fall short because they tend to only engage certain parts of the brain. Sometimes it's the more cerebral experience that gets the point across. So, for example, if I were to say, Hey, Jack, describe Formula One racing. Exactly. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 95 of the F1 Show. For coverage of the Hungarian Grand Prix from Budapest, I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau, and I call this episode of the F1 Show to order. First item on the agenda, we've got old business to wrap up from the previous episode. Old business. Well, very official sounding. I, yeah, right? It's like we have meetings or notes or something, but we well, don't. First and foremost, we have to thank uh, Peter Oliver for our Ferrari-related fact-finding. Uh, fact um, he corrected me in two instances in one single comment. Um, I did not mean Eddie Jordan drove for Ferrari being Eddie Jordan and Schumacher. I meant Eddie Irvine uh, driving for Ferrari. That was, I believe, from like 96 to 99. Somewhere in there, and there you go, Peter. There's another fact. He's going to correct us again, <laughs> but it was somewhere in there. And so, yes, Eddie Irvine, not Eddie Jordan. However, uh, Peter Oliver and myself agree that if you picture Eddie Jordan in a Ferrari, it's pretty funny. So you, everyone should do that. The other thing uh, he wanted to add to the conversation was that uh, Mika Salo drove uh, for Ferrari. Um, a little bit, few races. Few races, stepping in for Schumacher. And actually, Chris also also pointed out uh, that we said Niki Lauda was German, uh, and that he, we'll find he's Austrian if we were to actually research it a little bit better than it was. And I think, yeah, we had known that, but are not very good at mentioning things every once in a while. Yeah, well, that's how it goes. I, I'm pretty sure what actually happened was he was German at the time of the recording, but then... Switch nationalities. And by the time Wikipedia after, got involved. Yeah, we, we didn't have time to correct the show by the time it, news got out that he switched to being from German to Austrian. And because in, he was Austrian, he was born there, and he was Austrian most of the time. Like, everyone knows that, duh, of course. But then, like, a week before the German Grand Prix, what not everyone knows is that he switched <laughs> his nationality to Germany, German, right? And then we recorded the show, and then he's like, that was a mistake. I really appreciate my Austrian heritage. And he switched it back. Because like him and him and Schwarzenegger are boys. Are you are you like running for office or something? What, this is this is the most ridiculous political sounding. Yeah, you're right. Non denial. We, we were we we just goofed. But thank you to our eagle eyed fans for uh, for pointing those things out. Eagle eared. That too. Because <laughs> they didn't really look at anything. They're just listening. <laughs> well played. Well played. But that was a past on to the present, which was of course the Hungarian Grand Prix, which is the second tightest track on the uh, Formula One calendar, and hence going to bring us, you know, a wildly different uh, front of the grid. Um, you know, like for a change, perhaps Sebastian Vettel will be you on know, the front. You know, those Red Bulls always qualifying, well, that one Red Bull. Yeah, so, <laughs> a you know, lately we've had this whole question of 
has Red Bull really fallen off? Has everyone else really caught up and even surpassed Red Bull and, you know, gloom and doom and, you know, oh, Vettel's championship reign is going to end and all that. But Vettel did prove us wrong. I mean, it, it almost looked uh, that way in qualifying or in, in practice and everything with, uh, you know, the Ferraris coming on strong and the McLarens looking really strong. But at the end of the day, Vettel was able to pull out some of his qualifying magic and get the car back on pole with Weber and actually like a, you know, down at fourth or something. I mean, it was, you know, a pretty, pretty big disparity. But the McLarens, uh, you know, two and three with Lewis Hamilton, who was looking like he almost had pole for a little yeah. while until Vettel pulled that out, and then Jensen Button right there as well. Well, I think so. Two things. Like, first, the biggest thing for me is that um, Vettel got the pole again, but it was by a tenth of a second, not by six tenths, seven tenths, even eight tenths, and it wasn't that Weber was second. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Vettel did get pole, but he barely got it. And the second thing is both Alonso and Hamilton made a mistake in their second time round of Q3. Excuse me. They were both going for better times, and both of them made a mistake and ended up being slower. So they were both going off of their you know, first set of tire Q3 running, which for Hamilton was okay because his time was really incredible. He, mm-hmm. you know, Five minutes in, he was on pole. For Alonso, his first time round was also not great, so he ended up fifth. I think mostly because I picked him to be on pole. Yeah, he doesn't n- like me. Not, not a good move. So, uh, But yeah, clearly a big advantage that Red Bull had before. We now have three races to support that that is no longer the case. It is going to be, if things continue on the current track, things are going to be much tighter, which is, again, just fantastic for us. Yeah, and it also, I think, is... is- Interesting to show as a comparison between the drivers, too, that it's not just that Vettel is an average driver that happens to be in the best car of the field. I mean, he really does have this ability to get that car around a track, certainly in qualifying. It's debatable in race pace, but uh, certainly in qualifying that, you know, that guy can really just get that car figured out around a track. Absolutely. And really put in a pretty flying, stunning lap. Because, you know, we know uh, Mark Webber just has a lot more history, as it, just number of races and amount of experience and all that, and has, has had some success, but that... You know that Vettel can just take a car that is now not ha, doesn't have that much of an advantage, or is really on par with the other cars out there, and you know, do a just really you know brilliant lap with it. But like you say, his race pace is a touch questionable, and despite starting the race from pole and having a good enough start to lead the race from pole. It was not that long before things started to go wrong for him. Yes, but because we are such a high-budget and professional operation, we're actually going to get coverage of the start of the race from our pit lane reporter, who's trackside for the start of the race. Take it away, Craig. So we've got still as per the grid. This is Craig Kilt-Wilson reporting for F1show.com. Rose Park, Brittany just went off the track. Bloody Vettel still in the lead. Oh, here they're coming. is in the lead as he comes round the final corner. Hamilton back.
Yeah, unfortunately, my Scottish to English translator is broken, so I have no idea what he was talking about. Oh, come on. You know exactly what he said. Is Vettel still in the front? Oh. That was that was the whole point. Yes, and it was bloody Vettel, as uh, as were the sentiments of the video. But, uh, you know, thank you very much. I mean, that's, that's sweet. We have actual, like, you know, sort of uh, reporters at the races now, or... One, one reporter, Craig the Kilt Wilson, um, at this particular race, you know, taking some video for us. And, well, uh, we have more to talk about, but Craig did a bang-up job for us this weekend. Bang-up job. He's really gunning for number one fan status. and Oh, I, in my opinion, he's captured it. I, and I mean, I'm just going to throw it out there. I, brilliant stuff. Yes. We'll get there. We'll get there. We still have a race to talk about. Okay, so... Yeah, that that was the very beginning of the race. Um, but then, I mean, it was it was five laps in when Vettel actually ran wide and allowed Hamilton, who was on his tail nonstop for the opening pit, bit of the race, to finally get around him and, uh, and and go on from there. So it was another kind of Vettel under pressure in mixed conditions kind of mistake, um, which does lend credence to the whole maybe Vettel's race pace doesn't quite work out or his strategizing is not so good. And it was also another instance of Hamilton just driving the wheels off of the car he was in. I mean, just... Pretty darn incredible stuff from the man, and you, you just you cannot you cannot overestimate this guy's talent. Yeah, and even I mean, and funny, I'm the one bringing it up uh, between the two of us. But you know, Jensen Button being very very racy with Hamilton right at the very beginning of the race too. I was a little bit concerned at my end in tears um, because they were wheel to wheel and possibly even touched you know touched cars next to each other. Oh no, man, it's a professional outfit at the McLaren shop, man. But, Those boys get on. They like each other, and even. Uh, we'll jump ahead a little bit. And, you know, Jensen Button um, said in the interviews that he thought they raced fair. You know, so, you know, uh, we know we know from after race reports that Hamilton didn't think there was anything wrong with the way they raced. Jensen didn't think there was anything wrong with the way they raced. They both thought they raced each other clean. We did not hear anyone like Martin Whitmarsh, that dreamy, dreamy man, on the radios talking about, oh, maintain the gap and blah, blah, blah. We didn't hear yes, any of that. Which... That is, was noticeably absent. Yes, which... It to be a, fair, it wasn't the last three laps of the race. We have to we have to qualify this necessarily. And it may have been said that we just didn't hear it, but probably not. I mean, it was like, hey, these guys are both really good drivers. They're both world champions. They're in really good cars right now. Uh, let them race. And yeah. that was cool. So, uh, yeah, and then it was so it was wet at the beginning, but becoming drier. Well, uh, let's let's talk about race starts here for a moment, okay. if you don't mind. Mark Weber, yet another bad start. He he didn't he didn't qualify all that well this time around, but at the start, he lost a couple of places, just like that. Yeah, I mean, what else is there to say, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, Schumacher does seem to do really well at starts. He, he has a way of finding gaps. Unbelievable. And it seems like, you know, a lot of times the cars will get into a corner when there's a whole bunch of cars together, and there's just kind of this momentum where, you know, this the accordion effect, they kind of come together. Absolutely. And everyone's kind of, the you, you know, even if you had a run on the guy in front of you, you just lose all that momentum. And Schumacher seems to have this way of kind of reversing that, of he slows down a little early or whatever it is, and then when everyone else is you know, is all bunched up and going really slowly. He just weasels that, you know, the Mercedes right through there and ends up making up, you know, he, you know, one, two, three positions yeah. um, in a few corners. It was, it's, it's pretty uncanny. And he I guess went that's from the what? experience. I think it was ninth to sixth. It was something like that uh, right at the beginning of the race, right in the opening first couple of corners. So uh, it was one of those races where it's, it's already kind of all merged together in my head. It's, you know, it was one of, it was just so much going on. First, I guess part of the reason is, is it broke the record for the number of pit stops in a race. I believe it was 88, 88 at the final count. Which is the exact speed you need to go to travel through time. That's true. Is that a coincidence? Yes, probably a coincidence. But 
it made it hard. <laughs> it made it hard to, uh, you know, to kind of keep in your head because uh, we had enters at the start, and then we had a couple people go in pretty darn early onto the super soft dries. And Jensen Button was one of them, and we're like, Ugh. yeah. He came out of the pits and had several pretty serious slides in the first few corners. And and I said at that point, I'm like, I'm concerned this is all going to end in tears, and it would be the third race in a row for Button to have an early retirement. It would be just, you know, really, really terrible for him. And you know, you can just you can just see that where there's just one corner you overcook it a little bit too much and get off onto the paint and slide into the walls. But that didn't happen. He yeah. held onto it, um, and then. It, it turned out that he made a really good choice. I mean, then he was able to set some some very good laps and and you know, just be basically fighting with, uh, you know, back with Hamilton um, and, you know, holding on to it. So it was, it was, it was the right call at the right time. Uh-huh. Um, and then, yeah, everyone else, so everyone eventually made their way onto dry tires. They were using most of the super softs. Um, and this is still, I mean, the first, I think it was what, 10 to 12 laps into it or whatever, when this was all going down. The um, first set of stops, yeah. Looking at the, the lap chart, it just kind of all goes nuts around lap 10 of, of just all <laughs> the pits and, 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 you know, people changing around and, uh, and everything happening. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, and then uh, later in the race, we did have a little bit, there was, it was kind of seems like it was kind of misting the whole time, and maybe our pit lane reporter could tell us, or, or our grandstand <laughs> reporter could tell us exactly what the weather conditions were throughout the, the, uh, the race. But it was like kind of always almost raining. But never quite enough for intermediates. Um, yes, and but they're almost w- once a dry line developed, it never completely went away true. either. Right. So it, it seemed like it was about gone. Um, you know, a little bit past. You know, maybe two thirds of the way through the race, but uh, never fully went away. So the the one thing that was interesting to me was that, um, and we saw this pretty early on, Hamilton was the fastest man on the track when the conditions were met. But over a long period. Um, Jensen was a little bit slower, but as Hamilton's tires wore out, Jensen was able to keep going the same speed he was going at the beginning. So Hamilton would pit, get new tires, pull away, and then Jensen would start start clawing him back. Hamilton would pit, pull away, Jensen would start clawing him back. And as a result, the um, the two of them ended up being neck and neck a little bit past halfway through the race. And started battling each other. Yeah, and they did trade positions a few times. Um, and, you know, it was it was Button in the lead for a while. It was actually, you know, Michael Schumacher in the lead for a moment during pit stop uh, yes. rotations. Yes, um, He later had a gearbox failure and, and retired. So, you know, that's so the end of his day. But, yeah, I mean, so it was sort of a tortoise and hare situation with, with Button and Hamilton. And that's what we've said in the past. It's been sort of cool about the two, you know, world champion, really good drivers um, and both British at this British team. And it's this whole big deal. Um, and that that's what's cool about that is sort of different driving styles, different strategies, and they can work off of each other a little bit and uh, and do well. And it's pretty much exactly what we saw today. Um, but for Hamilton's part of it, um, I mean, it was a disappointment at the end of the day, not not tragic um, because he did end up coming fourth place. But um you know, from being in the lead, he, he worked hard for that fourth place. He worked, I mean, there's no doubt yeah, about it. Yeah, he he earned higher than that, but uh, that's that's all that came to him for a variety of reasons. So, um, first of all, he uh, he did have a spin that was that was his own his own fault. He said, you know, his right front tire was going off. He kind of took a chicane a little bit wrong and just spun around on him. And then he goes to to spin his car around and rejoin the track. Um, but Paul Deresta and Force India was right there and, and coming up, so it actually made Paul have to drive virtually off the track if not completely off the track and back on hamilton was later penalized for that and uh and, and he, i mean and rightfully so yeah i mean he he spun right as duressa was coming around he could have easily taken him out if the car didn't spin on just tight enough radius that he was you know hoping it would i mean so it was definitely in my opinion it was a justified penalty right and we saw um the 
you, you know, Hamilton, once, once it did actually pick up rain a little bit more, um, we saw, you know, uh, Hamilton and Button having this, this pretty epic battle. It was, it was very cool. Um, and then uh, Hamilton came into the pits kind of later than you would have expected to get wet tires, at, uh, you know, to, to go back to intermediate tires, um, and then had to do a few laps, and then it turned out, no, it was actually drying out again. Oh, I mean, it was no more than two laps, I think. And then had to come back into the pits and get the, you know, go back to dry tires. Then he I had to do his drive through penalty. He pitted six times this race, I believe. Yeah, so it Button's was... three. Yeah. So it ended up just being a disastrous day. And, and and so we were concerned, like, oh, man, you know, Hamilton had his brilliant moments of driving and did a really good job. But then it all kind of came unraveled. This is going to be one of those where he's mad at the team and it's going to be all negative and just kind of one of those like, oh, Hamilton, don't do this. But uh, he he didn't do any of that. It was actually very, you know, he, no. he had some in his Absolutely. interviews was, um, was saying, you know, hey, the spin was my fault. And, you know, coming back around in front of Duresta, I didn't see him there. So, you know, it's, I apologize to him for any any problems. And, you know, you know, we had radio communication problems, which is why there was that, um, you know, the, 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 you know, miscue or whatever, the, the, you know, the tire choice. Um, but that's racing was was the was the bottom line was like, you know, it is what it is. Which, and what did he say about Jensen Button? He said the better man won. He said, you know, we were battling to, together, doing well, and the better man won. He just said, you know, Button had, had it in the bag today. That I mean, just incredible to hear that. So, dun-dun-dun, Jensen Button won the race, and he did so brilliantly. That was classic Jensen Button. And here's what's so eloquent about it. It was the location of his very first win in 2006. In weird, mixed, wet, dry conditions. Driving a Honda. That time he came from 14th. This time he came from 3rd. Slightly different uh, situation there. And it, it was also his 200th Grand Prix start, which is kind of incredible to think about because Sensen Button's my age. In fact, I think he's a couple years younger. So the fact that he's, you know, not in a wheelchair with arthritis, that part is a minor miracle. Yeah, I mean, you have a hard time getting up off the couch. So no, but the fact seriously, can... yeah, well, <laughs> that's for different reasons. Seriously, though, he, um, he, he's, he's not that old. He's you almost know? exactly a month younger than you. Okay. January 19th, 1980. Well, there you have it. As our research team added. <laughs> Thank you, Hamilton, the cat. Uh, that's our crack research team. And, uh, but he's not that old, but he's been around 200 races. I mean, it's just kind of an incredible figure because we talk about um, Barrichello and his 300-plus race starts and all that kind of stuff. We think about that. You know, Jensen's two-thirds of the way there. Yeah. That, I mean, it's, it's one of those when you sort of take back and, and look at the numbers. Um, you know, so obviously we know 200, 200 starts, uh, one championship win, of course, in 2009. He's got 11 wins, 36 podiums, and 675 career points. And the points don't really mean a whole lot because yeah. they change you have to year to adjust, year and all that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, seven pole positions, four fastest laps. I mean, it's, you know, compared to some of, uh, like, you know, the Schumacher statistics of just ridiculous run of success when, you know, the whole team and car and everything was, was, was built around him and that all worked. Or even someone like Hamilton, who in such a short career had so much success. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, I guess it's classic Jensen Button, right? It's like, just stay in there and keep at it and it'll come to him yep. and, and it's, it's working out. So it's well, uh, cool to see that. Not, I mean, it. I kind of alluded to this in my column I wrote a few weeks back about how he, in his 10 years, he's been developing this skill over time, found his niche, you could say, and you know just kept developing his strengths, working on his weaknesses, and just become a more and more complete driver. I mean, he, he even said it himself in one of the interviews, kind of reminded us, you know, he didn't, he didn't have that much time in, in, in race cars. He did a lot of go-karting. Um, and he did F3, he did uh, British Formula 3, and then he was at Williams the next year. He started when he was 20. So he he definitely was one of those guys that got in the car very young. And 
So there was a lot to learn yet, even though at the time he was 20, he could drive a Formula One car fast around the lap. But, you know, between that and knowing the strategy to win a race, especially in mixed conditions, I mean, that's, you know, there's two completely different uh, skill sets we're talking about. So, um, and it has to be said that, you know, Jensen hasn't always been in competitive equipment compared to Lewis Hamilton. But again, how do you get in competitive equipment? You show really well at the beginning. So, you know, it kind of, you know, all, it all depends on your perspective, right? And kind of besides all that, you just have to respect that that is such a neat way to um, celebrate a milestone. Yeah, and you don't have that polarization from people like Michael Schumacher where people either adore him, especially from his Ferrari days, and, oh, he's the best driver ever and it's just incredible. And they're like, yeah, but then, you know, some of his moves is, is really, you know, for lack of a better way of putting, you know, kind of an ass or just goes too far <laughs> sure. um, with, oh, you know, I, I will race, you know, I'll win at any cost and I don't care if I drive you off the road or I don't care if whatever happens. Well, and the relationship with Barrichello and all those yeah, kind of things. And, uh, and even Vettel where, you know, it's sort of become boring that he's so successful. And even when Jensen Button was in that situation with Braun, um, you know, we had to come up with a little more exciting predictions to try to, you know, during that era because it was a little bit too predictable. Um, but, I mean... Nobody like dislikes Jensen Button. I feel it. You know, he just yeah. seems like such well, a quality he's, dude. Yeah, he's, he's earned his spot. He's not. You he know, doesn't race dirty. Yeah, he's a very smooth driver, so he doesn't tend to punt people off the road and stuff like that. Most of his DNFs are mechanical failures. You know, it it it's not his style to be brash or to be, you know, uh, getting in the mix of things when it's unnecessary. You know. For those type of things, you think Alonzo, you think Hamilton, you know, you think Schumacher, you think those kind of names. Uh, you know, Button's just not one of those guys. Yeah, and one of the one of my favorite uh, sort of things I learned about him from this weekend uh, was in an interview where he said, you know, talking about his crash in Monaco, which was, you know, a lot like Sergio Perez's oh, crash yeah, this past year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he had this had this big heavy crash, and he was sort of still, and it wasn't new. I mean, he'd been in, what, five years or something at that point in F1. Um, but he had this big crash, and he, you know, turned out to be okay. And, and you know, his takeaway from that was, like, wow, these cars are really safe. Uh, <laughs> I can crash that heavily and still be okay. So... Why not push harder than I have been? Right. And he sort of took that and, and ran with it. So. It's like, I don't think that's a lesson you're supposed to learn from that, but I guess but made it work for him I eventually. Mean, it's, it's true, though, really. I mean, the, I mean it's, it's a, you don't want to test it, but in general, when it, when it come, comes down that way, it is very true that, you know, it's pretty rare that people actually get injured, um, you know, in these kind of things. And Sergio Perez, obviously, is back in action after a similar crash, and, you know, the cars keep getting safer, and um, not not on their own, but there are certainly people, uh, you know, in the sport that are making that happen, but... Not only, I mean, since you bring him up, I do believe Sergio Perez um, earned two points today. I think he finished ninth, if I am correct. We'll get our crack research team on that one. The other thing I The know, answer is no. He finished 15th. Oh, Okay, then who finished ninth? I thought a Sauber fin. Maybe it was Nico Rosberg. Rosberg. Okay, not the same person or same team or anything. Nope. Scratch that. Never mind. Well, that is just fine because he doesn't deserve a point because he stole my ride. Point is, Jensen Button's the man. Jensen Button is the man at least today, and it, it was a great way to celebrate. Now, Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, he I mean, ended up finishing. Um, ended up finishing second. He was second. Yep, three and a half seconds behind behind Button. Um, largely because Button slowed way down the last couple of laps. It was more like a seven-second gap that was being held pretty comfortably. Yeah. But, um, again, in my opinion, he was solid. He was defending against Hamilton reasonably well, but he ultimately he went wide. Um, lots of people did today. But he showed, just like you said earlier, incredible pace 
incredible lapping pace, entry speeds into corners that are unreal, mm-hmm. but not as strong of a racer. Yeah, and and so there's there's the question of the abilities there, and then but also sort of the overall question for the season, right? Is has the balance of power really shifted? Has it just been a couple of off races uh, for for Red Bull? And you know, last week I was sort of um, not thinking. You know, thinking things hadn't changed that much. I mean, I don't want to look into one race result or you know maybe maybe even two race results and try to think that's a whole trend. But with you know three races going down like this, I mean, I'm, I'm really starting to come around. I think thinking that. You know, Red Bull has lost the advantage. I mean, it's when you look at the point standings, he's got such a comfortable lead. When you think about, um, there's not just one guy um, who's challenging uh, who's challenging Vettel in the championship. There's now. a big battle for second best, right? And yeah. and it's sometimes Alonso, sometimes Hamilton, sometimes Button, and that's perfect for Vettel. And sometimes Weber. Yeah, I mean Weber is still second in the championship. Exactly. Uh, lest, lest we forget, it's, yes. it's it's close, but he is still uh, still second. And, and, and winner of the British Grand Prix. No. Didn't he win one? No. He didn't? I thought he did. Or was he just on pole? I thought he won one. Maybe he didn't. Boy. Not, no, not this year. Uh, if, you know, Alonso was He was on pole in Germany. Germany. That must have been what I was yeah, thinking. Out-qualified, yeah. But no, no, and no he, wins for he's had a couple of he's had a couple of poles. Yeah. Because you remember, if I mean, if when when Weber's in the lead, you know, Vettel finds a way to get around. And it's yeah. usually the team pushes the button that's that's like oh let me just disable Durs or Kurs or Turs or something on uh, on Vettel's car and eh, let Vettel around. So um, yeah, so I mean it's it's perfect for him because the you know the guy that's behind him first in, you know behind him being Weber is his teammate and for various reasons as discussed before unlikely to have lots of solid results above Vettel's and behind that it's it could be one of three different dudes. So like I think championship wise Vettel is in such such a good situation that it almost doesn't. I won't say it doesn't matter what what the form is, but he, I mean he's so good to get the car on front and good enough to keep it there to oh, get yeah. solid I, results. We, we, let, we'll we'll say this again. We'll say it every time we bring this up. He's not a bad racer. We're not saying whoa, Vettel's no good at racing. He's he's very capable. It's just that he's not. He doesn't surpass the other drivers as much. You know, he has a very unique ability to drive a car extremely fast in a single flying lap. That ability isn't quite as um, isn't quite as uh, unique when it comes to actual race pace, and that's that's what we're trying to get about in terms of race craft. There's other people that might be a little bit stronger. He's not bad at it by any means, and he's still very strong. And you're right. I mean, he's got a huge lead. He mathematically knocked out thirteen drivers, fourteen drivers. Yeah. Uh, this race weekend. I mean, we kind of knew like. Kamui Kobayashi wasn't going to come and win the championship. But still, just the fact that it's, you know, we've got... What, We're not eight, much past halfway. Eight races to go, yeah, yeah. and that, that, you know, people are starting to get knocked out at this point. Uh, and then any of them, the Constructors' Championship is like, you know, over 100 points swing from uh, from first to second and all that. Um, but I don't think you can argue with the facts. I mean, it's out of the last five races, Sebastian Vettel has won one, whereas out of the first six, he won five races. Right, so right. So unless those Absolutely. numbers were a little bit screwball the way I said that... Um, I mean, definitely something has changed, you know, the for a variety of reasons. Some, I mean, you know, these, there's been some crazy races, there's been some crazy situations, uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, they're not winning nearly like what they used to be. So, yeah, I, I do think the rest of the field has caught up, but that at the end of the day, because it's, you know, three different other drivers that are that are in contention for, you know, uh, 
for unseating him that, um, you know, championship-wise, he's still probably doing very, very well. And it's very similar to the situation of Braun in 2009. They had a very clear, very distinct advantage at the beginning, capitalized on it, Mm -hmm. and then... And then right around the British Grand Prix, it started to go downhill. Yeah, and, you know, uh, Rubens Barrichello had some strong races later in the season, but, you know, Jensen Button had all his wins at the beginning. Yeah. And... uh, but then just kept consistent, stayed in front, stayed clean, and brought the championship home. His lead was tightening up. But again, similar to what we have now, there was different people in second, um, and that helped him out, and he ended up clinching it uh, a race before the end. So uh, Vettel, certainly it's not guaranteed to be his. If Ferrari and McLaren keep continuing to find pace and become faster even in qualifying trim, uh, you know, Red Bull could have a problem, but uh, the chances are that he's in a very, very comfortable position. And I guess probably the best we could hope for, right, is that um, it comes down like it has somehow, you know, it's kind of crazy that it has, you know, the last three years of the championship come down to be as close as it can possibly be. Yes. Where it's not even down to points, but down to wins and down to second places and third places. I mean, it's oh, yeah. been... We had three people very solidly in the in chances to get the championship at the last race last year. Yeah, and it's not like it's, you know, clinched three races before the end or anything like that. So that that's basically, a, as fans and as for F1 as the sport, I mean, probably the best outcome is that, you know, Vettel doesn't drop out entirely or have any, you know, major issues, but that people keep cracking away at his lead so that it comes down to the last race, essentially. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, having a, a thrilling finale in Brazil but, to I mean, uh, finish it all up. Again, and Vettel isn't making massive mistakes, you know, he's making minor mistakes, and he's sliding wide off the road and losing a position. He's not sliding into the wall. Yeah. You know, so far, his bad days have been finishing fourth in Germany and finishing second in Hungary and in a couple other seconds early in the year, right? So yeah. if those are your bad days, he's, he's doing a phenomenal job overall. And so when they had a clear advantage, he totally capitalized on it. If that advantage is gone for the rest of the season, he's still he's in excellent position to just continue to work hard, but steady, and be fine. Mark Webber, on the other hand, he, his, his performance, and I talked about this in a column a little recently, uh, is just not quite consistent enough. When he's, when he's good, when he's, when he's really switched on and in the zone and any other you know, uh, phrase you can think of that's overused, cliche, Yeah. He, when he's doing those things, he's fantastic. And out-qualifies Vettel every once in a while. Yeah. But, he's, but he's not, he can't seem to do that consistently enough. And the one thing he is very consistent at are, are, are the terrible starts. Yeah, and even like in qualifying today, the, or yesterday, the, um, you know, they were like, oh, the gap back to Weber uh, was a bit of a mystery. You know, there wasn't like, oh, this is what happened. I mean, there were some questions about Kerr's on the car, and it you know, somehow it didn't work on Weber's car, but it did on Vettel's. <laughs> but uh you know then it's then during qualifying it's, oh yeah Kurz is working again and all that but still there's a pretty big disparity in in the difference and it's just kind of what's different we don't know you know i wish i had the same pace as vettel and it's it's not uh you know so so yeah mark weber's bad days are like i'm quite a bit slower and we don't really know why and then i lost a bunch of positions at the start and i'm you know a pretty you know fairly distant second in the championship um and I'm not sure, I guess, I mean, I don't think it's realistic to expect much different, though, which is sort of unfortunate to, to say. But It's going to take something from Weber to make it uh, more consistent. I, you know, certainly there is something a little weird that was going on with 
work being done on the back of the cars and that kind of stuff. And somehow it's always Weber's car that has the issue, not Vettel's. Whatever. But, you know, there's plenty of opportunity for Weber himself to, if he can find a way to make himself more consistently quick and be in that place where he can be so competitive more often, um, that that's how he's going to be able to capitalize and tighten up the gap and get some more race wins and stuff like that. So the other thing that was really interesting to me is uh, Ferrari's pace. And when we say Ferrari's pace, we're pretty much talking about Alonso. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, so here's the thing. Pretty darn competitive. His qualifying performance hasn't been quite as good as I personally definitely would hope for. But just in general, it still isn't quite up to pace. But the race pace has been very competitive. And um, Ferrari is very adamant that their car likes hot weather. And the last two races have been cooler weather. Cooler weather. Germany was cool the whole weekend. Hungary was hot, but then it rained race day, cooled everything down, and you know made it wet. So um, if Ferrari can get some heat and dry weather going for them and they can maintain this current performance, they could be formidable um, coming into the second half. Yeah, well, uh, Belgium is not usually known as a particularly hot race. No. Um, we've had some, some wet, dry um, sometimes on the same lap, wet dry situations yes. at at, uh, at Spa. Um, Monza uh, could go either way. I think it's usually usually going to be a warm one. Singapore, it's a night race and uh, a little bit cooler. But, but Singapore in general is pretty darn warm. Yeah, um, and Ferrari's done. Uh, you know, had some had some good, and, and some bad moments there. FYI, I hear Nelson Piquet Jr. might be racing in Singapore. Oh, just saying. Which just saying would be good. I'm just saying for. Petrov, maybe. <laughs> anyway, um, and then yeah, and then you know, Japan and Korea. Um, who knows? India. Uh, my sense is that that's hot, but I don't know this time of year or that time of year. That'll be October. But anyway, um, yeah, they you know Ferrari does seem to have taken a step forward. I mean, when they said that at Silverstone, they said it's hard to tell because we've got you know because of the weird uh, weather and all that slowing us down. Uh, when they said they'd taken a legitimate step forward, I think that's true, and uh, and that you know Ferrari slash Alonso has, yes, uh, yes. you know, has become a, uh, a contender again. Um, I do want to mention, um, you know, a good day for STR, Scuderia Toro Rosso, that they had a double point finish with eighth uh, for Sebastian Buemi and 10th for Jaime Elgishwari. Uh, so that's a, a great result for them. Uh, but man, every time I see uh, or sort of, you know, take stock of where are the Williams in this, it's oh, just, it's, it's just sad. sad. I mean, Rubens Barrichello for 13th, Pastor Maldonado in, uh, in 16th. I mean, every once in a while, they'll have a good qualifying running, maybe make it into Q3. Um, but it just like never comes together. For the them. races almost never pan out. They are ninth in the constructors championship. The only people they are beating are the three new teams, which have zero points. And Williams has four points. Yeah, it's it's just kind of I mean, and I really I it's mean, Rubens and it's and like, Williams is like the Jensen Button of racing teams. You know what I mean? Like, well, maybe not, but for me they are. They're like they're just, you know, you can't not like them. They're the the independent team that just keeps on going. You know, and they have all this past glory that they're trying to get back. And you know, they just have, you know, two extremely passionate people running the place in Patrick Head and Frank Williams. And you, you really just want to see them do well. But, you know, I've read articles on about them, and they also kind of have um, some territorial uh, issues, some bullish issues where they don't necessarily uh, hold on to their drivers longer term. Um, one of the reasons I read that Adrian Newey left Williams is because Newey wanted owner, ownership stake in the team hmm. to be more connected to the Williams team, and they turned him down. And clearly... Uh, 
hindsight being 2020, of yeah, course. Yeah, Adrian Newey is a big uh, asset to any team, yes. as I think we've has been made clear with his time at McLaren and, if he and owned, Red Bull. And if he owned the team, he would have stayed, So at least for a while longer. So certainly there is some issues with that. So all the same, it's really sad to see them in the position, in the position they are in. Also, um, a shout-out to Daniel Ricardo. This is the Silly Season Rookie Update. He finished uh, 18th, which doesn't sound brilliant, but it is two points ahead of his teammate, Vedantonio Liuzzi, in the matching car. So he has outperformed his teammate in his third Grand Prix, which right. is definitely a solid position. And he was five laps down, at the actually four laps down at the, at the, uh, at the result, but made it to the finish in tricky conditions and all that. And with uh, four other retirements, I mean, that's, that's a solid performance. So. And if I remember correctly, didn't he actually out-qualify Liuzzi this time around? Or at least, it, it, I think, at one point in time, I think Liuzzi ended up 20th on the grid and he was 19th or something like that. There was a point where he was running first, but Tony Liuzzi actually started 21st and Ricardo started 22nd. So ah, no. duh. Boy, I am just not good with the facts. Also, a big shout-out to, to uh, Nick Heidfeld. For winning the hind jump competition today, um, he did have the help of fire on his bottom uh, in a very spectacular exhaust um, failure. I do believe uh, bringing a, a very crispy Lotus, a very crispy Lotus Renault, uh, to the side of the track. Yeah, it was. Uh, I guess a, a failure for of the car to not be engulfed in flames i think is probably the the best i mean it was a it was a spectacular failure the likes of which we have not seen in a long time yes but uh it was just after after leaving the pit lane um probably the car got too hot or maybe even something broke uh during the pit stop and it was just at the exit of that and it was like pretty well an explosion i would say yeah of the car and flames coming out of i mean when you've got the forward exhaust and there's other body work and other stuff and around that's there, what i was thinking because i'm pretty sure because they were actually toying with a more traditional rear exhaust um, and they decided practice, against it. But I think yeah. they decided against it, and they were using the forward exhaust. And that, to me, kind of looked like the source of the fire. So if you had a, a cracked header or something like that, and you let some heat escape in a bad place that was a little bit more prone to igniting. Uh, but anyway, things were very, very much so hot. So Heidfeld got up and out of there. Um, in a big way. Kovalainen would have stayed and fought the fire. I mean, we all know that. We that, all know that. That man is, uh, is you know is a boss like when it comes to uh, you know the car's off by the side of the road give me a fire extinguisher yeah. I'll fix you know Heidfeld just like ran away from it he's like I'm scared it's on fire uh, uh, it, it was quite a bit on fire though yeah did, fair, fair enough far. it was there was there was like charred car bits on the track at that point it was a for the smoldering the pile as uh, people were exiting the pits and we had more shots of it it was a, a sad sight to be seen no doubt sure was so there was, I'm sure, lots of things uh, oh, that we, we didn't cover. It was um, a, it, we missed a lot. I'm just looking at the at the lap chart here and, and any other sort of honorable mentions. But uh, I mean, we really, I think, I think hit the big points. Um, Massa came fifth. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Hey, where did Weber end up? He, uh, we, we, we bust his chop a bunch, but I think he did end up fourth. So it wasn't altogether a bad day for him. But no, Massa was sixth. Weber was fifth. Oh, then who was fourth? Oh, Hamilton. Hamilton ended up fourth. That was a whole yes. big thing with this. Because he got around stops. Weber at the very end. Right, right, right. Yes. Okay. Okay. It's all clear now. We fixed it. Yes. So now, have, if, if you had not seen the race, listening to our explanation would be perfectly clear of exactly what happened. <laughs> Extremely clear. We solved everyone's problems yes. just now. We fixed it. And from that, we should move on to some listener feedback. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it is listener feedback time, but first we need to bring everyone up to speed on the latest news from the battlefield. I did bring my uniform this time. Let's do it! Yes, so those listeners who listened to the previous show will know that we are at war. Big time. Sort of. I got my musket. Uh, I so, got my virtual musket in my left hand, because I am left-handed. I'm assuming you want to hold it in your, in, your, in your dominant hand, right? And then in my right hand... Clearly you're an expert musketeer. In my right hand, I'm my, th- my thesaurus, right? So that when we have the battle of words, I can look up, you know, synonyms, right? And have more... Wow, you're really going, more, you're going nuts more with the battle effervescent, analogy. Okay, more effervescent let's, no, let's phrases. Move. Yes. And then the musket, okay. just in case. Now we're done. Okay, so um, we mentioned that Merkin Muffley uh, sort of came out of left field with us on Twitter. And mentioned Which that actually isn't his real name, thankfully. We were, came out of left field and <laughs> just with the, said we, are, you know, we should be in a lame war with, with side podcasts. I didn't even know what a lame war was. Um, and he has qual- you know, clarified lots of things with us. So uh, I, I just want to bring everyone up to speed on the latest with our battle. So he says, first of all, a flame war is when two or more people on the net start bickering back and forth. Well, I did know that. And I knew if we were in a flame war, I would understand what that was about. Um, but it, so it tends to get very heated and results in childish I, name-calling. I didn't, I didn't know what a flame war was. And it drags on and on until everyone else on the forum tells those involved to shut up and knock it off. So, yeah, typical flame war. Um, but there's, but why would we want to do that? Well, there is another F1 podcast, and that's the name of the show is Another F1 Podcast. Right. Hosted by a pair of British comedians, started a tongue-in-cheek audio flame war with side podcasts, but it died quickly because neither had anything bad to say about the other, which was funny in and of itself, and they ended up calling it a lame war. So... Inadvertently, we did the same thing of turning what could have been an epic flame war into a lame war because we which had... was actually what was requested of us. Yeah. So if you think about it, we actually honored the request without even being aware. Of I it. think it was like doubly reverse psychology or something to that effect. Merkley so... Muffinry is a freaking spy double agent guy. He may, I think possibly triple agent. So Ooh. the one thing. So another F one podcast. If it's a pair of comedians. Um, pretending to do an F1 podcast, I think maybe making fun of us, though, if you think about it. Because they're probably poking fun of, like, oh, don't these people just sit and they talk about F1 and they're such big nerds? But th- that's what we do. That is what we do. Shoot. Hmm. Moving on. But uh, as a uh, as a side podcast listener, he says, that was the first he'd heard of, quote-unquote, another F1 podcast, which turns out to be a funny show, so it worked and it was cross-promotion and that was cool. Um, and so he was half-jokingly suggesting we do something similar. Of course, there's no half-joking at the F1 show. It no, all, all business. Right. <laughs> Clearly, and uh, and uh, you know, so he was being sarcastic, but uh, I think it actually well, worked out that he that he took I do it believe, together. I did read the note. Uh, I do believe he said that he did not. Ha- he had not gotten a lot of sleep the night before. We know how that goes, and we know how that goes. So, and then uh, finally, I we we need to add the uh, final. Please, please describe his name for us. Okay, so President Merkin Merkin Muffley is is uh, a character in Stanley Kubrick's um, Doctor Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, um, which is a brilliant movie, and I haven't seen it in long enough. Uh, it's been so long since I've seen it that I forgot that that was the name from that. So I'm glad that since you made fun of his name, that that's not his real name, because I would have felt bad if he said, "No, that's my name," and we were like, "Oh yeah, we made fun of you for that." Right, but uh, you know, I I tend to be. I, it's one of those things, like, if you're Jew, if you're Jewish, you can make fun of Jewish things. If you're black, you can make fun of black things, you know what I mean? I can make fun of people with crappy names, because my name's Robin, and in the States, that's not a great name to have. And you're a dude. And I'm a guy. Yeah. Most people think. Um, so- I have an identical twin, and see, one of my, one of my chromosomes was dropped, and my uh, identical twin is a girl, technically. I... 
was not listening to that last comment, and I think I'm better off for it. No. So just to finish up the, this. Oh, this but I wanted to say more about twins. Yeah, no, you're not allowed to. Um, he says, you know, he, he uh, watches F1, and he's, a, he's another American. He's a, in L.A., um, and he says, you know, you often have the same discussions as we have after the race. So not to put ourselves out of business, but in that case, you know, does he need to listen to our show? If he has the same discussions, he could just have the same discussion. Get no, some, I think what he was trying get to some say snappy was— music involved, and no, he's pretty he, much there. He listens to us and then regurgitates those. Oh, That's he, what I thought. He, he must meant. sound brilliant to That's his friends. That's what Yeah. And I wonder if he does both parts. Oh, ooh. in stereo. That would be amazing. So I actually do want to close out this whole identical twins thing. It actually happened to come up, and we did. I kind of re-researched what it was talking about. So basically, in very rare instances, there is a time when you can have identical twins uh, appear to be two different sexes. What happens is um, the sometimes the Y chromosome drops after the one egg splits. And it becomes an X naught chromosome, and it's actually called Turner's disease or something like that, and it's extremely rare. But um, basically, uh, in terms that we can understand them, one is a boy and one is a girl. So that that will be the end of uh, discussing the differences between identical twins uh, from here on. I promise. But I did want to close that out. That that I was right. That it was technically possible, rare, albeit rare that you can have identical twins that are different sexes. Sean Scanlon writes on the F1 Show <laughs> Facebook page <laughs> that uh, as an F1 fan, he is deeply offended by the news that there's this, uh, and this, this is going to make a lot of sense to our English listeners and maybe not so much to the rest, um, that uh, there's this whole deal with BBC Sport, who of course ha- does F1 coverage right now and is the public broadcaster, and everybody gets BBC uh, in, in the UK. Um, and then there's Sky, which I guess is a satellite broadcaster. Um, they've announced this deal because BBC couldn't afford to pay all the money that Bernie Ecclestone wants to have all the races on free-to-air television. Right. And now Sky is going to have to carry some, which, of course, everyone would love for F1 to be available freely to every citizen in the country or everyone who wants to watch it on TV and not have to pay any fees or whatever. Did you hear that they might have to have commercials? Right. Well, Sky being commercial programming would, would potentially have to have commercials. And even that, so, so it's it's kind of a weird deal. But basically, BBC has kept the, the rights um, to, and they're going to broadcast most of the races. Um, and then some of them are going to have to be on, on, uh, on Sky. So it's like a deal between BBC and Sky. It's not really changing the deal with F1. Um, but people were really up in arms because they're like, oh, if it's on Sky, first of all, people have to pay to get it. Second of all, maybe they'll do commercials, and that would just be the worst thing ever, and it would ruin the sport. And to put a little bit of American perspective on that. Quit um, whining. Yeah. We I, pay for cable. We get commercials. Right. So It's not even very good. So here in the U.S., um, F1 is covered by Speed Channel, which is on cable and not even always on the most basic package of cable channels. And God bless them for it. I mean, if it weren't for them... We might not have it, period. Right, which is ludicrous because of the sort of popularity and the you know amazingness of the sport and how it does worldwide. The fact that you know like we don't get any world rally coverage at all on TV. Like we yeah. have to go online or just read about it and whatever. So anyway, um, yes, we do get F1, and thank you for speed to doing that. But that's the deal that's been that's been negotiated or whatever. So we have to pay for cable to get it. We don't get anything here without commercials. I mean. Nope. One program a year, maybe specially sponsored by Ford with limited commercial inter- inter- interruptions. Right. But then all the cars in it are Fords, and they're talking about Fords during the show. So the it only thing just we kind of ruins the whole that thing. Is commercial free? Is you know, 
presidential, uh, presidential interruptions to regular programming for a speech or, or whatever. That is as close as we get. And Mr. Obama, President Obama, very rarely discusses Formula One. Right. But then he'll, you know, in the middle of a speech, you know, drink a Pepsi or whatever. He's holding the can <laughs> to the camera. Like, and oh, by the way, look at that smudge. I'm just going to pull out my Windex, the quality product, blah, blah, blah. No. Yeah. So and then we do have a few races, uh, f- usually four every year, right in the, in the summer um, that uh, and we just thankfully ended that spree. Um, uh, that are broadcast on Fox, which is Speed Channel's parent company. That is a network that is goes goes out over the air. Everybody gets it. We call that the dark times. Right. I mean, so those those the times that it's covered there is tape delayed always. It either starts at noon or 1 p.m., which is five hours after the race has already happened. And furthermore, it depends on your local Fox affiliate and right. whenever they want to uh, play it in case there's a regional sports match that they think is more important. And because they, it's it's Fox and it's primetime programming and blah, 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 um, they don't, you know, they, there's... It's two hours of coverage total. There's little to no uh, pre-race. There's little to no interviews. You'll get one, if you're lucky, you'll get the the first sort of paragraph of the answer from the winner of the race. You don't even hear the question. Nope. And you don't hear anything from second or third place, guys. Um, you don't really see the podium. It's just like, uh, it's, it's a mess of coverage, basically. And because it's on the national network TV that they figure everyone gets. They dumb um, it down. They figure everyone in America who's just happened to be stumbling around TV and found themselves on Fox and is looking at these weird cars that don't have fenders. Um, they they basically pander to that market and talk about every single race, talk about, oh, isn't it amazing that they can change all these tires in just a few seconds? And, wow, look at the downforce. And this car could drive upside down at any speed over 60 miles an hour. Yes, and yes. we get just the most inane coverage. Uh, even though it's, it's, it's the guys that do a better job of coverage on speed, I think they're told to dumb it down. So to finish the, the rant, um, it could be a whole lot worse. It is a whole lot worse here. And not that... <laughs> Not that we right. wish that for anyone else, <laughs> right? But I guess be thankful for the coverage that you do have, absolutely. And that yes, not all of it will be on free to air, but those who want to watch F one will will watch it. There are always ways. Guess how many pit walks we get? Goose egg. Yeah, none. Yeah, although the pit walks were a little awkward sometimes with Peter Windsor. He there were some there were some weird ones. No, no, no. I'm talking. Well, okay, pit walks. I'm sorry. I meant the racetrack walks in the morning, where they walk the track. Don't they do that on the BBC? I don't did, know. I, did I just make something up? I don't I know. I thought they did. Maybe. I've seen it on YouTube where David Coulthard will walk with Jensen Button or something like that, and they interview him, they talk about the track, oh. and they walk around the track together. Oh, I was thinking grid walks. So you're talking track walks. Yeah, I'm talking I don't about know. track walks. Whatever. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, yeah, the, the level of coverage. I mean, the, the. And I mean, like, for example, sorry, I'm cutting you off here. Uh, you know, speed coverage. They have a former driver to give you the driver's perspective. He drove in the 60s. Yeah, it's not, you know, Martin Brundle or even David Coulthard, you know, recently retired, still on Red Bull payroll, whatever. It's, I mean, yeah. Anyway, there's, there's a lot we can say about it, but not very much of it is good. So David Hobbs is great. So is Bob Varsha. So is Steve Matchett. We appreciate the work they do. They do it on a very limited budget, and they don't have the same access that the BBC does or the other, or, you know. And we should mention, they do sport. it from Atlanta, Georgia, every time. They right. don't go to the races. Except for Will Buxton. There's and one dude, Will Buxton, who does go to the races. And, and he does from a decent there. job, but, I mean. Yeah, I think considering what you guys get, we get nothing in comparison. Just keep that in mind. Yes, that's all we're saying. Um, we also want to say uh, we got five comments about the last podcast um, from uh, Fast African, or Fast African is probably much better. It's P H P H A S T African, Fast African. We'll we'll go with that. Oh, see, I read that as Pastafarian the first time. <laughs> I'm glad that you screwed up a name, too. I, I, I'm going to stick with Fast Well, I didn't read it on the show that way. Though. That was just my head. And he had an answer to our trivia question last time. We also had a comment from Mr. C, 
Who Which, said, if you notice, his email address and website is Side Podcast. I mean, that's that's the guy from Side Podcast. No, so there you go. And um, he said, uh, appreciate the non-promo. Well, it was a promo, except I told people don't listen. But then I said, listen, as long as you keep listening. To Which us. I think is what's called a non-promo. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we got uh, Merklin Merklin Muffley uh, commented again. Uh, Chris Alsup and Stephen Ray um, all uh, mentioned um, uh, comments on the show. A lot of it was about our. Lame war. Steven, so. I think it's Stephen Roy, and he says the lame war gets lamer. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but hey, hey, if you need something lamed down, you 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 go to the right place, which is us. Um, now, uh, on to much more important things: the glory, the awe that is Craig Wilson. So number one fan status for a while was held by a gentleman who sent us pieces of some unknown thing that was made out of carbon fiber, probably an F1 car, signed by Which someone. Which was brilliant. We're still hugely and appreciative first, of Brendan James Cronk. And we, hugely appreciative. Yeah, when we opened that package, it was, it was huge. We were like, oh, this is cool. You know, we, get, we have enough of a community around the world and people that have access. So we got some extra like F1 stuff, and, uh, and that was sweet. And, and then, then Neil Popham. And then it was taken over by Neil Popham, who put a bunch of time and effort into enacting a, a dream of ours of kind of keeping track of predictions on our Facebook His page. Own personal time. Yes, and he, you know, he fixed bugs in it and made it all work. So he's, you know, been very helpful to uh, to to our show and keeping it engaging for people. And as you mentioned, still keeps it up to date. So that if you want to put Daniel Ricardo on poll, you can do that thanks to Neil Popham, who keeps this thing going. Someday that Ricardo poll position will come true. May just be true. But what what can you say, Craig Wilson, pit reporter, Warner Motorsports purchaser, and. The man has access that is just unbelievable. Let's discuss the photos that we have on our Facebook page, on the F1 Show Facebook page. The first one I saw was uh, Craig Wilson and Jensen Button's dad hanging out together like they're buddies. And what does Craig have on his shirt but an F1 Show sticker? Brilliant job. Freaking awesome. Yes. And I'm going, that's amazing. I'm going nuts. I'm like, Jim, this is incredible. Then... I scroll down, and what do we see? Jensen Button with his girl and Craig Wilson hanging out, and he's got the F1 Show sticker on his shirt still. Jensen Button has seen the F1 Show sticker. Jensen Button, F1 Show sticker, united. Which means... He must have been like, oh, you know, hey, what's up, Craig, my buddy? Because, you know, obviously they're like, they hang out. Dude, they've been hanging out. There's, a, there's another picture with Craig and Jensen Button. Jensen Button has that V-neck T-shirt thing on. Mm-hmm. I remember that picture as well. Yeah, and, uh, and so he's probably like, oh, cool. Let me check out this, you know, what's that sweet sticker, you know, and he's like talking about the F1 show. So what's up, Jensen? I mean, thanks for listening. I'm yep, sure you're tuning absolutely. in now. And, you're our boy. And I think pretty soon Jensen on his Facebook page will probably have a picture of himself with Craig Wilson. <laughs> but this time Jensen will have the F1 show sticker. Yes. Yes. Well, if I like, if I get a Warner Motorsports order for like three thousand F one show stickers, and it's like J Butt or something like that, then I'll know. You know what I mean? Which would be brilliant. But I mean, that that's cool because it's it's it's, it's very incredibly gratif- cool. It's, it, it's, it's gratifying it's, it's, for us to absolutely. see. Absolutely. Uh, you know, our little project, this little goofball. You know, like we should do a podcast, random show, and then like we should make stickers, and we you know just kind of growing over time to see. How did that this that's... thing start? It started with uh, your MacBook, a uh, camera, eyesight camera. And us on the couch. Pointing at us on the couch, having some incredibly stupid conversation about something or other. And we're like, yeah, this could work. And now we do a radio show, which is us doing, (laughs) saying incredibly stupid things about F1. But it all comes together, and we've, uh, you know, it's it's just really cool to see the the community. And where does this picture come from? This comes from when Jensen Button got his 200th race start, 
11th race win, site of his first race win, F1 show sticker. It's all going to stick in his mind. This is big. It's a big day. So thank you, Craig. Huge, um, huge thanks. And uh, So appreciated. So for anyone else out there who wants to have as bask in as much glory as uh, you know those of our fans that we've mentioned today on the show, um, please visit F1Show.com. You can comment on the post straight from there. You can see links to our Facebook page where there's lots of activity and people posting photos and all that, and our Twitter feed, and you can reply back to us. And uh, it's, it's just a great thing to be a part of, and we appreciate all the feedback that we get. And if that's not enough for you, you can do things that are more interactive. This isn't... Um, this isn't anything we'll ever be upset about, um, but we want to give a huge shout-out to Fraser McDonald, who has a cam- come up with a um, F1 show uh, competition um, for, uh, I believe it's the, the game F1 2010, correct? Yeah. It is now called the F1 show Lap Times Challenge. We are like series sponsors to his Facebook page um, just because he likes us, which is awesome. We hugely appreciate it. So what it is is you go out and you do lap times on the game, mm-hmm. and then you kind of interact with other people on the wall and kind of put your times up and stuff and, like that. And again, it's something that we talked about, um, but we are not, I guess, organized or whatever, have enough time to really put all of all these various things we come up with into action. Right. And it's very cool to see those uh, who have the ability to do those things stepping up and, and being uh, you know sort of part of that. Absolutely. Uh, so, it's, so, Fraser, I want you to know that as we were speaking on the radio, I'm hitting the like button to your page, the F1 Show Lap Times Challenge. Because I do like it. I think it's fantastic, and I really appreciate you putting it together. And we're going to have to throw some lap times in there, too. Yes, yes, you'll, you can do that. Okay. <laughs> hey, but you've got the fancy wheel and the whole deal. I do it's... have the fancy wheel. I, you're, you're right. You're right. I should man up. You're right. You, should, you can play as Jensen Button. It when can you're be right, like... you're right. I... <laughs> Whatever. I'm going to play as Craig Wilson. That's what I'm going to do. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Trivia, Yes. Okay. Now it is time for trivia. And once again, thank you to Mr. Tony Bird for supplying, uh, supplying us a question, which we said last week, and it was as follows. Two unrelated drivers with the same surname won the championship in consecutive years. Which drivers and which years? And uh, we had a couple of guesses, and no one got the answer completely right because no one put both the drivers and the years. We had a couple people that put down the drivers, and they were correct about the drivers, but not uh, didn't mention the years. The, the years were 1961 and 1962. Uh, Phil Hill won the Formula One uh, Drivers' World Championship in 1961, and Graham Hill, son of Damon Hill, or the father of Damon Hill, won the championship in 1962. Hill Hill, 61-62. There you have it. So thank you for everyone who posted their answers or for those playing along at home who knew the answer and just didn't post it anywhere, which I'm sure there were many of you. Um, and and as always, we uh, we love getting trivia questions from our fans uh, because there's only so much F1 research we can do in, in finding these things. And well, it's, it's I mean, the, you, a lot of fun to just have you know, just con- contributions from the community. A much more dynamic set of questions when we when we get it from uh, get it from our listeners who are obviously much smarter than us anyway. So uh, highly encourage uh, anyone who has any interest in uh, sending us a question to do so because um, we love getting them. We've, we've already learned some interesting things uh, from them. So Yes, and we do have a sort of month-long break uh, in races and so on, so we won't do another trivia question for right now. We'll start that back up once the races start back up in you know four weeks' time or, or whatever that is. Yes. So it's prediction time. Okay. 
So once again, it is time for predictions and to see how accurately we can predict the future. And if we are any better at predicting the future than a simple Excel spreadsheet. One thing you are very good at is saying the name Vettel over and over and over again. Well, being smart enough to realize that a bad day for Vettel is really not a bad day (laughs) in terms of overall performance. Luck. It is luck, sir. And you have realized that anytime you predict Jensen Button to do well, he does not. So you stop doing that. And Jensen Button's been doing really well. Yes. Yes. And both times that I've predicted Alonzo, it has gone, I guess you could say, so-so. Um, which was the case this last time. I did predict Alonzo on pole and Alonzo to win the race. He qualified fifth. Jerk. Couldn't even improve his qualified lap time. Sixth. No, fifth, because it was Weber. Never mind. Thank you. Sorry. And the, the, numbers there you go with hard. the math and Num- the numbers Numbers again. are hard. Um, he qualified fifth. He didn't even improve his time the second time around on a fresh set of tires. Second time he qualified, he choked. I blame him personally for that. And But he did uh, manage to put it together a little bit, get on the podium for... Uh, for the race, so third wasn't too bad. I ended up with six points. You, on the other hand, with the Vettel Vettel prediction, Vettel was on pole, so you're correct about that, and finished second, so you collected one point total. And here is the interesting thing: the stat model had Weber Hamilton. Weber qualified sixth, and Hamilton only finished fourth. So the stat model collected eight points this time round, which doesn't sound like a high number for a lot of us, but for the statistical model, that is quite high. So both you and I gained on the statistical model. You by quite a bit uh, this time around. So the rundown for those of us who predict on the F1 Show Facebook page, um, still James Payne, solid performance there, man. Uh, He's still in number one with only 19 points. Uh, Then the statistical model with 24 points. Um, I'm actually in third place with 10 points more than that. And then uh, our boy Craig the Kilt Wilson. Uh, And then for fifth place, it's uh, Bodhi Tuladar, and you are tied, Robin, with 50 points. Ah, you're Uh, going down. You're going down, Bodhi. a tie for fifth. Um, And then Sean Scanlon, Ken Frischnecht, Ben Hessenthaler. Hessenthaler? Wow, I almost got that. (laughs) And Neil Popham uh, for 10th spot. Oh, Neil, you should give yourself some some bonus points for coming up with this thing. I, I think he's earned that. But that's all the past. This time, we have to predict four weeks into the future. We've got the summer break. We've got car enhancements. We've got all kinds of things that could be happening between now and uh, Spa Frankenstein. And we have no idea what the weather's going to be. I mean, no one does at Spa, really. I think yeah. it's a lot like uh, this, this past weekend. Um, but we are bold individuals. Yes. Not scared to go out into the uh, frontier of nothingness in terms of knowledge. We are going to go for it. And clearly, Mark, <laughs> Mark Hamilton... <laughs> No. Oh, no, that's that's fine with me. No. Let's put it down. Lewis. Lewis. My boy Lewis, Lewis is, is doing it. I know Button had a good weekend, and we obviously respect Button, um, but I don't think he's going to repeat this performance, and he's not really a pole position kind of guy. No, I, that's fair. But his teammate Mark slash Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> um, Lewis Hamilton, I think, is, is, is going to have a, a stellar weekend. So he's going to be on pole position this yes. week. Yes, and he's going to go on to win the race. Oh, my goodness, is he really? That's going to be Vettel, though. Oh, isn't it? boy. Shoot. No, I'm going. I don't want to do the safe bet that have the Vettel thing all the time. And I, I think that uh, Lewis Hamilton is going to continue to do well. Guess what? Hmm. I do want to do the safe bet because <laughs> I'm sick and tired of watching Vettel own everything. And when he does poorly, to still do really well when he's doing poorly. You know, this was a bad race for him, and he, he was on pole and finished second. Yeah. So uh, here's the thing it's Spa. I think the track uh, is going to suit the Red Bulls very well. We had a discussion about how Ferrari likes the hot weather. Alonso has said so over and over again. Spa isn't known for necessarily being a hot race or a dry race. So I think that kind of cuts the Ferraris out. So I kind of agree with you that it 
in my mind, with four weeks, but you know, at this point in time, I would bet it's kind of a Red Bull McLaren fight um, in a in a so law I, of averages sense. So I pick McLaren, you pick Red Bull, and we'll see what happens. Exactly, and I I, I just think I think this track, being what it is, is going to suit the Red Bull very well. I don't think uh, Adrian Newey is going to sit on his laurels. I think even while he's on holiday, he's going to be stewing and thinking about every last little inch of this car. He's going to come up with something brilliant. As much as is allowed by the rules where you're not allowed to think about the car right. or work on it. But You're not allowed to work on it, but that's my point. That's why I said think about it. I think Adrian Newey is going to be tinkering with a little notepad um, because uh, Nick Worth needs computer fluid dynamics. Uh, Adrian Newey needs a pencil and pad of paper. And uh, we know which one is the higher technology at the moment. So uh, I'm saying Vettel, Vettel. That's what I'm saying. Because I actually don't know whether it's going to be Vettel or not, but I just know that if I put Vettel, I should do okay. That's, your, that's like the damage limitation <laughs> exactly. prediction. No, but genuinely— Unless on holiday, Sebastian Vettel goes snowmobiling and somehow, like, you know, hurts himself and then he can't be in the car, and then all of a sudden they bring Ricardo in and then, you know, and Vettel's nowhere to be found. <laughs> exactly. No, I, 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 I think it's—here's what I, I think. I think that Spa could be a place where uh, Weber turns it up again. Um, but Vettel has been so strong with qualifying— and that is the one trick that he seems to be just nearly untouchable with. So I actually really do believe Vettel has a chance to do very well. And I do really believe that the Red Bull uh, uh, Red Bull car is going to be suited well for the track. So I'm going to stick with that. Cool. Uh, we will be back in action in time for the next race, which is way in the future. But keep your podcatcher tuned to F1Show.com slash podcast in case anything cool comes down the feed in the meantime. Yeah, that's all I, I mean, need to say about that because we, we do have we have some weeks off, and uh, you know maybe make some magic, maybe not. We don't know. We don't know. We don't want to promise anything, but we do like to tease. So, in the meantime, have a brilliant summer, everyone. Please. And uh, I'm Jim Lau, and I'm right, <laughs> and I'm Robin Warner, reminding you to never drive a car with just four wheels. Steering is important. The F1 Show is brought to you by Jim Lau and Robin Warner. Super special thanks to pit reporter Craig Kilt-Wilson. Goulash and paprikash taste a lot like pizza. The F1 Show logo is designed by Genuay Forma, a cutting-edge graphic design company. Check them out at GenuayForma.com. Today's intro music was Little Bird by White Stripes. Thanks, as always, to Bio Bonsai for use of their song Inspector B. From our for our main theme music. And finally, thank you to all our listeners for cheering us on. You're like a rainbow on a cloud of starburst sucking on the teat of awesome. <laughs>